Turn in your Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Thank you, worship team, for leading us tonight. Always a treat. Well, tonight we are continuing our Life in the Spirit series, and we're going to begin discussing tonight the subject of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when you begin to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's important to understand that there are two sets of the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in the New Testament. There are those that are commonly known as the sign gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians 12. And these gifts would be commonly kind of be be prone to and known to be a little bit more what I would call quote unquote supernatural in nature. And in many church circles, these are the only gifts that ever get mentioned and ever get discussed. And I think that is very, very unfortunate because there is a whole nother set of gifts found in Romans chapter 12 that are known as the practical gifts. And these are the ones that are actually being manifested every single day in the church. Because in this list of gifts, you have gifts like leadership and helps and that sort of thing. And so we're going to spend tonight and next week looking at what is known as the sign gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And then we're going to finish up our series by spending two weeks looking at the gifts in Romans chapter 12, the more practical gifts mentioned there. And so for tonight's study and next week's study, we're not having group time because like we did last week, we're going to end the time after the study with a little bit of worship and a time of waiting on the Lord and just giving an opportunity for the those gifts of the Holy Spirit that we're going to be studying about tonight and next week giving it just an opportunity for them to be manifested. Um, if the Lord would so, you know, want to lead in that way. And, and, and it would sort of be, I think, uh, a way of sort of demonstrating what we're going to be talking about in these two weeks. And so we just want to give place. And if you've ever been to one of our Magnify Nights, it's kind of what it looks like. It's just on, on Magnify Nights, we give just a, a a space and an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move in that way and use different people in the body through these different gifts. And some of you, as we have, you know, you've been maybe in that setting and you've been kind of like wondering, okay, somebody just shared, but I don't know what that meant and I don't know what that was. Well, hopefully as we go through these next two weeks, it's going to kind of clear some of that up and make more sense to you when that type of thing is happening. And then we're going to finish our final two studies in the series by looking at the gifts in Romans chapter 12. And on those nights, we're going to go back to having our group time. And those are going to be some really, really great discussions because it's, I think in those group times that we're going to have, it might be very instrumental in helping you even discover what your gifts are. 
What are the gifts that God has given to you? But tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, notice it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Pause there and give me your attention. That's how Paul begins. Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant, church. That's the heart of the Lord. And it's interesting, there's a few things in the Bible that God says he doesn't want us to be ignorant about. Prophecy is one, spiritual gifts are another, and it's crazy because in the church today, those are two things that a lot of people seem to be ignorant of. It's like they they, they don't want to touch those things, they don't want to talk about those things, but we need to, and the word ignorant here in the Greek has a threefold meaning. This will be on the screen. It, It means to not ignore, it means don't be unaware and and it means to don't miss out on the experience. And we noted in our first study that there are those in the church today, our first study in the series, that who are called cessationists. And cessationists are ignorant of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the sense that they ignore them by saying the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today. Those who are cessationists believe that when the church was given the the whole canon of Scripture, once the whole New Testament was written, about a hundred years after uh, the death of Christ, that at that point, once we had the entire Bible, they say, we don't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit anymore because now we have God's Word. And that idea was really birthed during the Reformation and has continued to be very, very popular amongst those who are Calvinists who take a much more intellectual approach to their faith. In fact, it's some have joked that in, in that circle, in that group, that their trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, not the Holy Spirit, because they don't want to talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. But here's what's interesting. Nowhere in Scripture is that idea communicated or supported that when or once you know we, we would get the whole Bible that we no longer needed the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what I believe is that mentality, that teaching, that theology really was born out of an, a, an overreaction to the abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were going on in many, many churches, where many churches just ignoring what the Bible said about how the gifts should operate in the church, and instead, you know, in those type of church settings, it's just like a kind of a free-for-all, it's kind of like a circus, it's kind of crazy, and it's like, you know, hey, we're just letting the Holy Spirit do his thing. How many of you have ever been to a church like that? Okay, I have been in some churches like that, and and uh, sometimes it can be scary, um, <laughs> really. And and I think this mentality of seeing, and this is what the church does a lot, and we got to be careful that we don't do this. Is that something that will be happening in one circle of the church, the body of Christ, with people who love Jesus but just are ignoring certain parts of Scripture, and and suddenly. The people that are really into scripture sometimes, we, we overreact to what's happening and we want to just distance ourselves from it completely. And I think that that 
is what has happened many, many times as it relates to this. And amongst, especially amongst the group that says the gifts are not for today. But here's what's interesting. When the church in Corinth, that Paul describes is being very active in the gifts, but he also describes that they were really out of line in the gifts. Like they were one of those churches that were just kind of, you know, abusing the gifts. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. They, they were abusing their love feast. I mean, there were people at the love feast that were getting drunk and, and just, you know, crazy things like happening in, in, in that church. And as it relates to the abuses that were happening amongst, uh, concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes to them. In fact, we're going to spend a good portion of our time next week in chapter 14 where Paul writes them in 1 Corinthians 14 and says, guys, this is how the gifts are supposed to operate. This is what it's supposed to look like in the church. He doesn't tell them that it's not for today. He doesn't tell them that, that you know they're abusing the gifts so they should just stop. He says, no, you, you, we want to see the gifts being used, but... They, they need to be done decently and in order because, and Paul will see this and say, that, that God's not the author of confusion at all. And so 1 Corinthians 14 is sort of our benchmark for how the gifts are to operate. And so we don't want to ignore the gifts by saying that they're not for today because we believe that they have their place, that the Holy Spirit is still moving and working. Um, but we also don't want to be unaware. And there are those who believe the gifts are for today, but as I was saying, they have no idea how they're supposed to operate because they are ignorant in the sense of they're not paying attention to Scripture. They're ignoring Scripture. They're basing everything on experience, and experience and emotion begins to guide everything that they're doing. And so as I was saying, you know, their services are sort of free-for-all. Everybody's speaking in tongues. All this, you know, crazy stuff is kind of going on. And that's another way of being ignorant, ignoring the instruction that God has given to us. And so we don't want to be ignorant in the sense of saying it's not for today. We don't want to be ignorant by being unaware of of what and how the gifts are supposed to operate. No, we want to follow what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, when he says, let all things be done. We, we want to grab a hold of that. Yes, we want all things to be done. Lord, we don't want to miss out on anything that you have for us. Can I get an amen to that? But he says, let all things be done decently and in order. God's a God of order. Have you noticed that? I mean, when Moses is leading the children of Israel, he has, God commands him to have the, the, the people sit down in ranks, in certain groups, that they're to camp out each night amongst their tribes. God's a God of order in the way that he does things. So don't be ignorant by saying that the gifts aren't for today. Don't be unaware or ignorant by being unaware of the teaching and instruction that the Bible gives. And then there's, there are those who are ignorant because they've never experienced the moving of the Holy Spirit because maybe they're in a church setting that just doesn't practice that, that doesn't give opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move in their midst. 
You know, they don't give opportunity for, uh, to be open to that leading of the Holy Spirit. And so much of the church today lives in this reality because they've just never, ever been in that setting. And so we like to create space. It's one of the reasons why we, we do our response times at the end of services a lot of times on Sunday is that we're wanting to give space for the Holy Spirit to move. It's one of the reasons why, you know, every couple of months we'll have a magnify night where we're just giving the night to waiting upon the Lord and just being open to how the Holy Spirit wants to move. So Paul says, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Um, don't ignore. Don't be unaware. And don't lack an experience. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Paul says this. So there are diversities of gifts. Everybody say diversities. But the same Spirit. And there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all and in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another, the gifts of healings by the same Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the discerning of spirits. And to another, a different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, just distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, notice there are three important truths mentioned here about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in these verses. Number one, there, are, there is a diversity, Paul says, of the spiritual gifts. Number two, there is a nature to the spiritual gifts. And number three, there is a purpose for the spiritual gifts in the church. Let's start with the diversity of the gifts. And there's two words that, keywords that Paul mentions here in this text. He says there are differences of ministries and there's a diversity of gifts. Now, differences speaks of variety. How many of you like Baskin Robbins? 31 flavors? Okay. You know, you go to 31 flavors and what? It's 31 flavors. What are they telling you? There's a variety here. There's a lot of different ice cream that you can have today um, to suit your needs. And when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's a variety. There's a variety in how the Holy Spirit works. For instance, you think of, you know, Bible teachers. Let's take, you know, beloved Pastor Chuck, who started the Calvary Chapel movement. Um, Paul, or excuse me, Chuck had a very, very distinct and strong gift in teaching and expositing the Word of God. He was a master at that. But you take Pastor Chuck and you put him side by side with, say, Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie also has a great teaching gift, but it's radically different than Pastor Chuck's because Greg is a little bit more of an evangelist. There's an example of the variety of the gifts. And when it comes to the gifts, there's this variety in the sense that Paul says, we're, we're, we're not all teachers. There, there's a variety of gifts. There's a whole lot of different gifts, and in order for the body to function, there has to be a variety, just like your human body, right? I mean, what if we were, the whole body were an eye, Paul would say in another place. 
that would be kind of creepy, right? <laughs> you know, you're just a big eyeball rolling around and, and uh, no mouth and no hands. And no, there's variety in our human bodies that in each, you know, part of the body has a different function. And so too in the body of Christ. So there is this, this variety in the gifts, and, but there's also a diversity, meaning the way in which these gifts are going to be manifested is not going to be the same. It will differ with the time. It will differ with the place. It will differ with the person. And this is really the better illustration of Pastor Chuck and Greg Glory is you see same gift in teaching, but there's a diversity in the vessel and how they're being used. So first of all, we see the diversity of spiritual gifts. Then he mentions the nature of the gifts. And when he says there, the manifestation of the spirit, that word manifestation means the shining forth. It means to show plainly, and I think this is a beautiful picture because this is what what Paul is telling us. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are in reality the shining forth of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit shining forth. It's like, like he's putting a spotlight on a certain thing by using a certain vessel. And so, and we'll see in a minute how that plays out a little bit more as we start talking about the, the different gifts. But, but there's a bunch of different gifts that we just read through that Paul mentions. And when each one of those gifts is being used, it's the Holy Spirit shining forth an aspect of who he is. It's an aspect of the, the Holy Spirit shining forth his heart for the church. And so the application of that is this, and I love this, because spiritual gifts are not tied to man's ability, it means that any man or woman can be used effectively by God. But it's not about you. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to do through you if you let him. And that's what's so encouraging, isn't it? You know, you guys sit here and listen to me every Wednesday, every Sunday, do you know this is the last thing in the world that I ever imagined myself doing was being a pastor? <laughs> it was not something that, that I aspired to or that I thought, you know, I mean, even when I sensed and felt like God was calling me, I tried to run from it. But it was a way of God saying, look, this is how I want to shine through you, Rob, in the teaching of the word. So spiritual gifts means that God can use me even when I feel inadequate. He can use me because the job that needs to be done is not dependent upon my ability, but it's it's dependent upon his gifting and his anointing. So we have the diversity of the gifts, the nature of the gifts, and then he gives us the purpose of the gift. Look at verse 7 again. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for what? The profit of all. So this is what this means, and please hear me on this. This is crucial. Spiritual gifts are not given to me for my own personal profit. It's not, they're not given to build me up. They're not given to shine a light on me. No, spiritual gifts are given not to build you up, but to build others up, to build up the body of Christ. Now, there is a blessing in being used by God. There is. 
And I know that, that there have been times here when we've been waiting on the Lord and somebody will have a word, word of knowledge. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And somebody gets blessed and somebody gets spoken to and somebody stands up because of that word of knowledge and we pray for them. And I know because I've experienced that. That the person who got that word of knowledge afterwards is going, well, God, I mean, they're crying. Like, I can't believe it. You used me, you know, type of a thing. And that is wonderful and that is beautiful. But that's not the point. It's not the purpose. It's not what we are desiring. You see, love is the motivator. Love's the key in all of this church. And that is why, don't miss this. That is why the Holy Spirit inspires Paul when he's writing 1 Corinthians And he's going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in chapter 12. And he's going to talk about them again in detail and how they're to function in chapter 14. But smack dab in the middle of those two chapters, you know what what he writes? It's what's called the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And in that, Paul would say, hey, if you have all the gifts in the world, if you have all the spiritual gifts that are available and you don't have love, it's like a noisy gong. It's like the gong show. Remember the gong show? You know? it's, it's like the gong show. It's like you're just getting gonged in, you know, in heaven. It's like gong. You know? It's like that, that, was, that was horrible. You know? if, if love is not the motivator. So the motivation for desiring gifts is to bless and build up the body. Now, now look ahead to verse 31, if you would. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. And notice there that Paul makes this statement, this statement, to desire earnestly the best gifts. Desire earnestly the best gifts. What's the best gifts? What's the best gift? You could debate that and go, oh, tongues, that's the best gift, you know, or prophecy. You know what the best gift is? Listen, write this down. The best gift is the gift that meets the need of the, of the moment. That's the best gift. You know, if, if somebody here tonight is hungry, and they haven't eaten in days, and I take them out and I buy them a new shirt... <laughs> that's not helping at all, you know? <laughs> I might be thinking, oh, this is great. I'm going to buy this guy a new shirt. No, he, the best gift is I need to buy him food. And you see, this is what the church is about. This is what the church is about. It's not, this is the mentality that, that we need to just drive as much as, as we can. We need to drive this out of our minds, drive this out of our hearts, is the mentality when we come here of what's in it for me. The mentality of when we come to church of, oh, I hope I get ministered to today. Friends, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, I'm going to share something with you that I don't want this to come across the wrong way. I don't want this to, to at all come across like I... And saying that I've arrived or anything like that. But years ago, when I would go to one of our Calvary Chapel pastors' conferences, I often felt like after I had been, you know, in ministry for 10 or 15 years, that, that oftentimes the things that were being shared were just things that I already knew. 
things that I had heard over and over again. And it was like every year, it just seemed like they're just driving home these basic, you know, principles. And I remember getting frustrated. And I remember just thinking like, you know, why am I wasting my time and money coming to this? You know, I just feel like I don't get anything out of it. I just hear the same thing over and over again. And one of my mentors, he, he sat me down. He said, Robbie goes, you're, you're looking at this all wrong. He said, you know, you've been in ministry a long time. You know, the Lord has established you. And you need to start coming here to these things, not, not thinking about, you know, how God is going to minister to you and how he's going to meet you, but how you can minister to others. Who are the guys here that are struggling that God wants you to talk to? Oh, it changed my whole perspective after that. And from that point on, I can tell you, there has not been a single conference that I've ever gone to that I have been radically blessed But the blessing has been more in giving than in receiving. It's like, oh, Jesus was right. That really does. You know, it works. You know, that's what he what he said. So so we need to come with the the attitude of of not, you know, what can I get out of this, but what can I bring to the body? Lord, what do you want me to bring to the body? So we're to desire the best gift. And again, what's the best gift? The gift. The the best gift is the one that is going to meet the need of the moment. And so in verse 11, he says that the Holy Spirit gives to each one individually as he wills. Notice that each one, so the Holy Spirit picks different people that he's going to use. Tonight, the Holy Spirit is like, okay, Rob, I'm going to use you to teach the word. But in our time of waiting on the Lord, he might use, let's say, you know, Jesse tonight to have a word of wisdom for us or a word of knowledge. He's already been using Mike, who's in the back with the gift of helps, and he's all the time serving. He was here early, bagging up all the bread that we get from Panera Bread so you guys can take home yummy bread on your way out and just using that, you know, gift of helps. But throughout the whole, you know, service here tonight, God's moving and working and the Holy Spirit is picking out each one of how he is going to move and work. So it's important to recognize that there is a diversity of gifts and work, they're, they're, not, they're, they're different. They don't all work the same. God works differently through different uh, instruments. There's a nature connected to the gifts. The nature is, it's the manifestation, the shining forth of the Holy Spirit. But the purpose is to build up the body of Christ. Tonight I want to talk about five of the gifts mentioned here. We're going to go through them rather quickly. And then next week we're going to zero in on the remaining four that Paul mentions here and tie it into what he says there in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14. But look at verse 8 again. He says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. So here's two that he mentioned, word of wisdom and word of knowledge. I want to start with the word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge is the divine imparting of knowledge concerning a person or situation that you could not know unless the Lord gave you that information. So it's a divine impartation 
It's like you didn't read it on Facebook, no one told you, but all of a sudden you just have insight into what's going on in somebody's life. We see a great example of this. If you've been with us in our study in the book of Acts, we saw this in Acts chapter 5. It was during the very early stages of the birth of the church. Remember there was people who were selling property and they were bringing the proceeds of the property and giving it to the apostles because the church was living um, communally during that time. Because remember, if you remember after the day of Pentecost, all these people got saved. 3,000 people get saved. A couple of weeks later, another 2,000 people get saved. I mean, you got a mega church right away. But the problem was a lot of these people that came from faraway lands, they, they traveled hundreds of miles, thousands of miles. They're now in Jerusalem. They don't want to go home because they've been introduced to Jesus. They, they've discovered, you know, this is the Messiah. God's moving. It's like revival is happening. It's like, it's like I'm probably going to say it wrong, but Asbury, I think it's what's called. Uh, Asbury, you know, remember that people didn't want to go home. I mean, they're like, they're all, well, that's what ha- was happening in the book of Acts and it happened for a really long time, like years. And so these people are living communally. And so people, in order to help you know, others that have brought people into their houses, the, the ones who actually lived in Jerusalem, they're selling property, they're bringing it, they're having these big communal meals, and so they're using all of that. Well, there was this one couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who after seeing Barnabas sell his land and, and then give the proceeds, and, and, and him kind of being praised for that, they decide, we're going to do that too. And so they come and they bring the proceeds of their sale, and they give it to Peter, And when they were giving it, they said, this is all of the proceeds. But the Lord, the Holy Spirit, gave Peter in that moment a word of knowledge that they were lying. And so he called them out on it. Now, God didn't ask them to give the whole proceeds. He didn't care if they gave anything. But he didn't want them lying. And so in the very early stages of the church, when God was really trying to orchestrate how important purity would be, he, he has Peter call this couple out. And that was an example there in Acts chapter 5 of that word of knowledge. A lot of times in this setting, in the church setting, during a message, during a, a sermon, a pastor can, without even knowing it, Share a word of knowledge where he shares an example or he shares an illustration or he makes a point and it's like he is speaking directly into a person's life. I've had many people come up to me and say, man, you were talking directly to me tonight. I've had people come to me and go, did my wife call you this week? it's like you're reading my mail. And I'm like, uh, no, she didn't call me. Except Fernando, your wife calls me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, she doesn't. But (laughs) I love that guy. Um, But it's like, you know, it's like like you were talking directly to me. And I didn't even know it. But the Holy Spirit was speaking, giving a word of knowledge. Sometimes in counseling this happens. I remember years ago talking to this college-age gal who had just come to the Lord, and prior to getting saved, she had this tendency to just throw herself at men. She was so looking for affirmation um, from men, but all of these men that she would try to throw herself at, they rejected her. 
And so I was talking with her and she was sharing her story with me and how she had gotten saved and how, you know, this is how she used to be. And in that moment, the Lord gave me this word of knowledge. And, he, and, I, and, and I said, you know, God's telling me that a lot of these men at your school and work that you have been throwing yourself at, that have been rejecting you, now that you've come to Christ, they're going to start showing interest in you. And it was a warning the Lord was wanting me to warn her that, hey, this is going to happen. And sure enough, it did. And that really, really helped her because she was able to recognize this is the enemy trying to pull me down. We have this happen at times when we're waiting upon the Lord. And somebody might get a word of knowledge, something like, you know, there's somebody here tonight that is struggling with and they'll mention a certain thing. And in those moments when we're having a time of waiting on the Lord and that happens, you know, whoever's leading, whether it's myself or one of the other pastors or guys leading worship, we'll stop and we'll say, okay, was that, is that a word that God was speaking to somebody here tonight? And if it is, would you stand or would you raise your hand so that we can pray for you? And so in those settings in that time, sometimes, and you know, that'll happen, we're just, you know, God's speaking to somebody like hey I, there's somebody here struggling with and and, it, and it's usually it's not something super generic like you know i think there's there's someone here tonight with a headache you know like like there's like 10 of us here tonight with a headache right but it's more specific it's more specific that something is going on you know, in a person's life, you know, you're, you're experiencing a really sharp pain right now in your left hip and God wants to touch you and heal you, you know, something like that. And if that, I'm just throwing an example, but if that's you tonight, we want to pray for you uh, during the, the, the time, you know, I don't know, maybe that was the, the, the Lord moving and working, but, but here's what's interesting. Oftentimes the word of knowledge will work in conjunction with the word of wisdom. Now, wisdom deals with the application of knowledge. A word of wisdom is a word fitly spoken that gives direction to a problem or situation. And so there have been times when we're waiting on the Lord and somebody will have a word of knowledge. And that word of knowledge will be, you know, hey, somebody's going through this situation and, you know, God wants you to know this. And then we'll wait and somebody might have a word of wisdom like God's telling me, that for that person, this, and they'll speak a word of wisdom, a word of direction that, that is just perfect for that situation. We, we see examples of words of wisdom, uh, for instance, in 1 Kings chapter 3. Remember that scene where there's two women that came to Solomon claiming to be the mother of the same baby. One of the, they both had babies, one of them had died in the night, and they were both coming and saying, you know, this is my baby. And Solomon is faced with this difficulty. What is he going to do? And what does he say? He says, you know what, bring me a sword, and I'm going to cut the baby in half, and you can each have a half of the baby. And right away, the, the one who was the mom said, no, 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 she can have her. That was a word of wisdom that God was giving him in that moment. I don't think anybody just comes up with that type of a solution, you know, in that type of, 
of setting. We see this example, when again, if you're with us in our study in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15. Big, huge problem in the, in the early church. Remember when the Gentiles started getting saved? There were some Jewish brothers and sisters, people who had come to Christ, but that were still really, really attached to Judaism and the ways of Judaism. They hadn't broken free from that. And so they came up, they're struggling with these Gentiles who have been living pagan lives, like just, you know, they haven't been been following any of the practices of Judaism and not following the law of Moses at all. So these Jewish brothers and, and really, you know, the sincerity of their hearts say, hey, if you Gentiles really, really want to be saved, you need to be circumcised and you need to start following the the, the laws of Moses. They're putting this legalistic trip upon them. And this dispute arose in the church. I mean, you had these legalistic guys on one side and then those who were given to grace on the other side. And this dispute could have caused a major split in the church. There was a danger at that point of the church of Jesus being split in two. And so they called a big meeting. They called it the Jerusalem Council. And remember, Peter stands up and he testifies of everything that God had been doing amongst the Gentiles. And then he gives, in the midst of this discussion, this word of wisdom that diffuses the situation. It'll be on the screen. Peter says, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the hearts, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. This was a word of wisdom. Peter gets a word of wisdom here when he says, why should we put a yoke on them that we and our fathers can't even keep? And then notice what it says in verse 11. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had done uh, through them among the Gentiles. And so there was this move of God moving and working, and there was an agreement, and that word of wisdom that Peter had diffused that problem. So we have the gifts of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Let's quickly consider three more tonight. Look at verse 9. He says, "...into another faith by the same Spirit..." and to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another the working of miracles. Let's consider the first of all, the gift of faith. The gift of faith is often referred to as a special faith. And this title is given because this faith differs from saving faith. That's the faith that we exercise when we are embracing Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus for the first time. So it's different from that. And it's also different from what we could call normal Christian faith, which is the just daily faith that we exercise in following God, in following Jesus, and living for Jesus. 
The gift of faith differs from saving faith and normal Christian faith in its degree and its application. You see, the gift of faith is a supernatural endowment of faith given by the Holy Spirit to be manifested in a time of crisis or in a time of opportunity. It's in such a time that God will give a person a divine certainty in their heart that he is at work or that he is going to work. Again, another example, Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, we have the disciples going to the temple to pray. It's something they did every day. They did it regularly. They're going up to the temple to pray. They're passing through the gate beautiful. It's a, a gate that was one of the most common gates, most popular gates, because it was so beautiful for people to enter into the temple court area. So Peter and John have passed through this gate many, many times. And this text tells us in Acts chapter 3 that there was a guy who was lame, lame from birth. And every single day for like, I think it was 38 years, he is brought and sat there at that gate to beg. So Peter and John have walked by this guy hundreds of times. But on this particular day, it was going to be different. This guy calls out alms, gold and silver. Do you have anything for me? And Peter stops, looks at the guy and says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And later on, when Peter is discussing with those who had questioned him what happened, he said this, that it was through faith in Jesus' name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So what happened? In that particular moment, on that particular day, Peter got an endowment. He got infused with faith enough to reach out and grab a guy that was lame and pull him up, believing that he was going to walk. And he did. His bones all snapped into place, and that guy was instantly healed. I love the classic story that Pastor Chuck used to tell. I've shared it before, but there was a family once after a service that wheeled up their father in a wheelchair and they wanted Pastor Chuck to pray for him to get healed. And so Paul, or Chuck, Pastor Chuck starts praying for this guy. And he just gets this, this faith that like God wants to heal this guy. And so he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he pulls the guy right up out of his wheelchair. And he was instantly healed. The funny thing was his family was bringing him up because he had a really bad cold. Um, <laughs> that's what they were wanting prayer for, but, but Chuck didn't know that. And, and, you know, but what was interesting a couple weeks later, cause this is what always happens. That's the guy that pulls people out of wheelchairs. So somebody else comes wheeling their, you know, grandpa up in a wheelchair. Hey, can you pray for our grandpa? And pastor Chuck prayed, Lord, I pray that you would touch him, that you would heal him in Jesus name. Amen didn't pull him up. The guy didn't get healed. And later, Pastor Chuck's son, Chuck Jr., asked me, he goes, Dad, how come you didn't pull that guy out of his wheelchair? And he said, because God didn't give me the faith. The first guy 
God had given him that gift of faith. So this gift can also be manifested in times when God gives you a certainty that he's going to work in a situation. It's, it's God giving you that gift of faith when you are in a financial crisis that he's going to come through. And you're at peace. Where you would normally be stressing out, but you're not. You're like, God's got this. I'm trusting him. It's not that you're some spiritual giant. In that moment, God's given you a gift of faith. And you just got to pray that he gives it to your wife too. <laughs> so, so, so she's not freaking out, you know. <laughs> um, I've had times in preaching. In fact, I love it when God does this. I wish he did this all the time. But I have had times in preaching that before I even came here on Sunday morning, I knew people were going to get saved. I'd tell the worship team, we're going to do an altar call song and people are going to come up. I just know God's going to move and work in that way. I've had times when I've been talking to people and I'm in the midst of a conversation and I'm just, God's giving the gift of faith. Like they want to get saved right now. And I'll just pause and go, do you want to give your life to Jesus right now? And they're like, yes. You know. <laughs> but again, it's not, most of the time, it's more like Jonathan and his armor bearer. Remember when they're going out and they go, hey, let's just go and see what the Lord might want to do. Let's just go and see if he's maybe in that. That's the realm that I live in most of the time. But I love it when he gives that gift of faith. So the gift of faith is a divine certainty given supernaturally by the Holy Spirit that enables you to step into an area of ministry or some opportunity with great confidence, and you see results. It's a, it's a divine endowment of the Holy Spirit that enables you to have a peace in the midst of a crisis. Now let's look at the gifts of healings and miracles, and then we'll wrap this up. First of all, I want you to note that both of these gifts are plural. Gifts of healings and gifts of miracles. And the reason for that is that there's not one type of healing. There's not one type of miracles. And I don't think we really need to define healing or gifts of healings because I think we understand that. Someone's sick and they're made well. Something is broken and it is restored. Somebody is blind, and they see. We, we see that over and over again, right, in the ministry of Jesus, where he exercised that gift of healing. And I just want to say this. The Bible says that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and our God is a God who heals. He is a God who restores. He is a God who fixes that which was broken, and he is the God of the miraculous. And working of miracles literally means operations of supernatural powers. It's when God does something that there's no human explanation for it. Webster's Dictionary gives this definition. A miracle is an event or action that apparently contradicts known scientific laws and hence is thought to be due to supernatural causes, especially to an act of God. It's, it's when God does something to which there's no natural explanation. I want to share with you tonight a story that my friend Vern 
Pastor Vern, longtime pastor, missionary right here. This guy has a ton of stories and a wealth of wisdom. Get to know Vern um, if you don't know him. He's a great guy to talk to. But he, he shared this with me, that on one of his missionary journeys, he had a long layover in Fiji. Kind of a cool place to have a long, long layover, I think, you know. But uh, he was going to be there for 24 hours, and he was told if he ever got to Fiji to look up a pastor by the name of, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, Narian, is that how you say it? Narian Nair. And um, the problem was, Vern only had a P.O. box for this guy. And um, the note indicated that this, this pastor, Nair, lived in a smaller town. How do you say that? Latoga. La, La That's what I thought. Okay, Latoga. So with 24 hours to spare, Vern ventures out on this long ride to Latoga, this long bus ride, uh, with his suitcases in tow, and he gets to this small town that is just bustling with people on a Saturday morning. And so Pastor Vern is beginning to think that he made a big mistake, because he's got no address, the post office is closed on Saturday, and that's when the Lord speaks to him to turn around and to walk the other way. Didn't hear an audible voice, but you know that, you know when God's speaking to your heart, right? That's just voice in your heart. So he turns around and he starts walking several blocks the other way, and then the Lord speaks to him again and says, turn left. So he turns left, goes a few more blocks, and then the Lord speaks to him again and says, turn right. So now he feels like he's going in circles. And this is when he sees a coffee shop. And he walks over as he's seeing this man opening up this coffee shop for the day, and he walks over, walks up behind the guy, and the guy turns around and says, hey, friend, can I help you? And, and Vern says, uh, yeah, you know, I'd love a cup of coffee, and I'm looking for a pastor whose name is... Pastor Nair. And the guy goes, I'm Pastor Nair. <laughs> That's a miracle, guys. <laughs> That's a miracle. You know, you're in a whole other country, and God just says, turn around, walk the other way. Now go right, now go left. Go get some coffee. Oh, there's the guy you're looking for. You can't explain that. That's God working a miracle in somebody's life, and he's got a bunch of stories like that. So uh, get to know Vern. But God throughout history has chosen to demonstrate his care through healing and his power through the miraculous. Think about when Jesus touched the leper. And he literally touched him. No one would touch lepers. What was God demonstrating in that healing? He was demonstrating, I care for those who have been inflicted with disease. I care for those who have been inflicted with sin because leprosy was symbolic of sin. It was God demonstrating through Jesus healing the leper, I care for the outcast. Because the, the lepers, they were the outcasts of society. When the children of Israel were boxed in at the Red Sea, and God tells Moses to stretch out his staff, and he miraculously parts the waters. What was God demonstrating there? He was saying, hey, don't ever consider yourself to be in a boxed-in situation, and if you ever are, don't, don't count me out of it. Because I'm the one who opens up waters, opens up doors that no man can shut. And as you go through your Bible, you'll notice that there are no real patterns or formulas 
to healings and miracles. Take, for instance, the parting of the Red Sea. God tells Moses to stretch out his staff. He parts the water. But then you have the parting of the Jordan River, and the Lord tells the priests to put their feet in. The water, as it's raging, it's that flood season. You got to step in, get your feet wet, then the water parts in that situation. Then you have Elijah, who, what does he do? He takes his mantle and strikes the water, and it parts. Why does God do that? One of the reasons, he doesn't want us to make formulas. He doesn't want us to be, okay, this is what God always does. Oh, last time in your life personally, when God moves and works, and you're thinking, okay, last time he did this, so let's do it again. You know, what, what did we do? We said this and this and this. We did a little dance and God moved. No, you know, it's a, there's not a formula. Not a formula. Think about Jesus when he healed the, the blind men. With one guy, he just touched him. With another guy, Bartimaeus, he just spoke to him. Then you've got another guy that Jesus spits on his hands and puts it on his eyes. And then you've got another guy that Jesus spits in and makes some mud and then puts that on his eyes and tells that guy to go wash. Each one was different. Why? Don't make a formula. And I mention that because there are those in the church that want to make formulas. There are those today that want to come up with with gimmicks. Just pray in this way. Pray, say in Jesus' name. Just name it and claim it. There are those today that want to say, you know, just a positive confession. You can't have any negative confession. You just got to believe it's already yours. There's three guys that were driving in a car one day, and one guy in the back seat asked the guy in the passenger seat, hey, how's your sister doing? And, And he said, oh, she's been really, really sick. He says, no, 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 no. Don't say she's really sick. Say she thinks she's sick. And he goes, and how's your, how's your grandpa doing? He goes, he thinks he's dead. (laughs) One last thing. Why doesn't God heal everyone? Why doesn't he heal everyone? You know what? I don't know the answer to that. I know this, that God is sovereign though. And I know that God is good. I know in Paul's life, in 2 Corinthians 12, it says that Paul prayed three times because he had a thorn in his flesh. It was like a prick in his side. Some type of ailment. We don't know exactly what it was. There's a lot of speculation, but it was something that, that just drove Paul crazy. And on three different occasions, he prayed and asked God that he would heal him. But Jesus said, no, not going to heal you, Paul. But instead, you're going to discover that my grace is sufficient, that my power is made perfect in your weakness. You're going to discover that when you're weak, that's when you experience my strength. And so Paul said, okay, I'll accept that. And he goes, and, and I'm going to glory in my weakness. Because when I'm weak, when I'm really going through it, when I'm having some of my worst days, I know that's when God's going to show up the strongest. Sometimes God doesn't heal because he wants to show his strength in our weakness. Sometimes he doesn't heal because our suffering makes us relatable. You realize that? 
Sometimes it's the suffering that you have gone through or are going through that makes you relatable to other people. That other people are, are like, you know, man, I can relate to that guy because I'm going through the same thing or I feel like that. I mean, you, you, ever, you ever, you know, be around somebody that just seems like their life is perfect? They're not relatable, are they? You know, you, you kind of wish you had their life, but, but, they, but, but you know, they're it's like, I can't relate to that guy. He has no problems. Your suffering makes us relatable. And sometimes God doesn't heal because we don't have no idea. And we won't until we get to heaven. But the question is, will we trust him? Will we trust him in the meantime? But I believe this, when it comes to healing, that we should never, ever, ever stop praying and asking God to heal unless he gives you an answer like he did with Paul. Keep praying. Keep asking. 